Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. It is May 8th. Yes, we know it's been a while since we last had a show. Real life has gotten in the way. Mickey's been traveling. I've been traveling. Uh, fascinating, fun developments in her life um, mm-hmm. at this moment. Mickey, everyone, I, I don't know. Actually, would you like to begin with the, the fun and joyous developments in your life? Yes, let's start there. Okay. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And and we have had an addition to my family. Anyone who keeps up with me on social media would see the pictures. Um, there's only been a couple that I've actually released out to the, you know, publics. But you can see little baby G. My nephew was born a few weeks ago. And, um, and my sister named him Grant after my grandfather. So that was very, very exciting. And so now I'm an Aunt. I've been an aunt before, by the way. I want to clarify that. It's just that those children were all born before I met them. Yeah, you, would, so you sort of inherited a, those with the marriage. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I inherited them with the marriage. Exactly. And so this is the first one that was not born. And of course, it's my sister. So, you know, I'm just all on board with this and trying to be um, as supportive of her and everything as possible. Because, you know, like I, you know this and, and I think that our listeners probably have a pretty good idea that I'm not like a kid person. Um, I'm not the person who walks into the room and sees a baby and does the, oh my goodness, it's a baby talk. Like that's not, you, you're giggling because you know this, but I'm now sharing with the world this. Um, and of course, one of my fears throughout my sister's pregnancy was like, what if she has this baby and I don't like it? (laughs) Right. I mean, this could legitimately happen because I've met other babies that I don't like. And so I was like, you know, and, and, and I read a lot about it online and they all said, you know, no, you know, you will love this baby because, you know, it's special baby, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, God, I hope you're right. Um, and so, you know, I was obviously there with my sister when all this went down, she went into labor. I was there throughout most of the, well, most of the delivery and then some, but that's a story for another day. And I was very excited to see the child and now see the reaction to it. Cause you know, people say that, and and my sister, God love her, like the minute she heard the baby crying, apparently she started crying and she immediately knew it was her child and she wanted to bond with it, you know, like right on the spot. And I was thinking, oh, this is a lovely story. Um, I hope. (laughs) as well and when I first saw the child he was screaming and he was red from head to foot and I so I was like okay well you know he's got good lungs and clearly he's related to my sister so um that was my first initial thought of him but we've actually gotten along very well um I I, I hold the baby I've changed the baby uh, both clothes and diaper um, to help out my sister and throw some support behind her and her husband. They've been doing very, very well. Um, but it's definitely been a lot of fun. And guess what? I, I like him a lot. Good. So Look, I your, feel like that's really start. <laughs> Mickey, your wariness or aversion to babies and children before was just because you were waiting to meet the right one. And Grant is oh, the right oh. one. So. Very nice. Very nice. And of course, you know, um, Mr. Bias is basically like the baby whisperer. <laughs> so he he's like completely on point. 
yeah, look, sometimes the sometimes the biggest guys end up being the biggest softies when it comes to babies and having just the right uh, just the right nook in their arms for for uh, uh, for for rocking them gently to sleep and stuff. When my boys were very very tiny, I re- they really were football sized, so you could just kind of you know yeah. sway them back and forth. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great t- to hear, and I, I can tell you know this is this is about as touchy feely and gushy as Mickey gets, listeners, as you probably. <laughs> At least you're being we're being very honest with you. We are sharing with you the real side of us, and it's good, um, that know. is one hundred percent true. And it's good to have it's something like- wonderful to celebrate. Something is beginning. Uh, in the meantime, other popular things in our lives are ending. How's that for a transition? Mm-hmm. Um, Nikki, would you like to begin with Game of Thrones first or Avengers? Um, I want to jump into that for one more second, but I just want to say one more thing about my nephew. And that was, um, his name is Grant. My sister was exceptionally concerned because Amy Schumer was pregnant at the same time as her with the boy, as was, um, the Duchess Kate, or I'm sorry, not the Duchess Kate, the Duchess Meghan Markle. Um, all pregnant with boys at the same time, and they kept leaning and saying, you know, they were going with some, you know, very Americanized names and whatnot. And of course, Grand is a very American name. Um, and so we kept messing with her and saying that they were going to name it, but they did not. Um, and so she was very pleased. That yeah. That and before happen. we jump into the other things, how do you feel about Archie, uh, Archie as part of the, uh, uh, the royal oh, family Archie baby? Um, I like Harrison. I don't like Archie. Like, I don't understand why they wouldn't have gone with Archibald if they wanted to call him Archie. Like, Archibald's a better name than Archie. Archie's a stupid Archibald name. sounds very British. Um, and yes. I guess the idea was to create some sort of name that was going to bridge the divide between our I guess, you know, the colonies. Like Archibald would be the name, but if he were American, everyone would call him Archie. Yeah. Um, I have to give credit to Cuffy Meh on Twitter, who said, Archie Harrison sounds like the name of a mid-level SEC football coach who never delivers and bounces from school to school. And you, you can hear that, you know, after a 16 and 17 record in the past three seasons and no bowl appearances, Archie Harrison is out of a job again. Um, so hopefully Archie Harrison, yeah. All right, <laughs> you know what? Since you brought up the royal, the royal baby, um, Archie Harrison, one of the other things I need to talk to you about, and maybe we can ask the listeners about this and then get back to us on social media. Um, always on Twitter, you can find me at, at Bias Girl, and you can find Jim at Jim Garrity. I have to spell his whole name out. Um, but I would love to hear back on this because does it bother you? They have decided, by the way, not to give him a title. So is, it a, is not a royal title Archie Harrison. Um, Mountbatten Windsor. He is just Archie Harrison Mountbatten Windsor. And apparently this is allowed because he's not in direct succession at this point. Succession at this point. Um, however, when Charles becomes king, he will automatically inherit the title anyway and will come Prince Archie Harrison. Now, is it just me or is that like... Because the, the story that came out in the press was, of course, that they were going to try to, quote give this child a normal life as possible. And I'm like, right? he's a prince. He's going to be raised in Windsor Castle. Like, what the hell does it matter whether or not you call him prince or not? Yeah, I, I think when you're born to the royal family. Didn't that feel like a, a stretch? Yeah. It's, it's just not going to be in, in the cards for you. Um and that's not really a bad thing. I, I think almost any definition of a normal life 
would probably be not quite as awesome as the numerous opportunities and joys that would come your way if you're a member of the royal family. Do you, you know, do you lose some privacy? Sure. But the great irony is, like, compared to almost other celebrities, members of the royal family never know privacy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, they, what, you know, they probably have an easier time adjusting to living in a fishbowl or living in the public spotlight because they've they're lived in it their entire the lives. Time they're they're yeah, they're in the fishbowl from the time they're born. But again, when they came out and tried to pull this whole, like, we're going to try to raise him as normal as possible and we're not giving him his title at this time, I was like, you guys, really? Like, this is the epitome of trying too hard. Well, the next I thought is... it was Daisy growing out his little dreads. <laughs> but no, this is it. So I, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And I don't like Archie. My understanding, Mickey, is that he is now something like seventh in the line of secession or something like that. Correct. Yeah. So if we wipe out those six, not that we'd ever do that, you know, uh, then we have an American on the throne. Mm -hmm. Do we get anything if there's an American on the throne? (laughs) I don't know how that works. Like if we get a trophy or get some of the money or the royal basing rights, coffee, you you know. The only thing I would really want, I mean, obviously, would be the um, access to the jewels. Ah, and if they're ever going to let the Americans touch those. So, you know. <laughs> a gift certificate to Harrods. You know, something. Paddington. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be like, be on your way. Do not touch our things. Actually, actually I've just looked this up. It turns out if, uh, if an American ever sits on the throne, all buses in the United States automatically get a second level. <laughs> Very nice. Very and, nice. And of course, we all have to keep a stiff upper lip and, you know, say gullicus and, and things like well, that. Well, I believe this is the first time ever that a royal has been um, in line for the throne that is all that is half American. Like, that's <laughs> never happened before. <laughs> yeah, so, like, obviously, we're going to take over that way, clearly, down the line with King Archie. Um, this means that- King Ralph was actually prophetic. Right, John Goodman. <laughs> you know, it's it's sad to say, but because I'm sure this child will be adorable and loved, and suddenly Archie will be a trendy, cool name and whatever. But I'm just telling you right now, when I thought of it, like everybody went to like Archie from Riverdale or Archie Comics, I thought yeah. of Archie Bunker. Mm, interesting. Like, Ooh, <laughs> uh, like, I just, I did not have, like, a positive, you know, certain th- words or names give you positive feelings or negative feelings. Let's just say Archie did not give me positive vibes. Yeah. My also thought was that, um, reminded me, I thought of Archie Manning. Oh, very good. Right? That's so a much another, you know. Actually, I can live with that one. And that they may be why people hear Peyton. Archie and they think college football. You know what? They well, could have called him Peyton. Yeah. <laughs> Peyton's Peyton head would love that. He'd be, he'd be calling himself King Peyton's head. You know, King actually, they had twins Peyton. and they named them Peyton and Eli. Um, there you go. See, that that's very American. Um, well, speaking of royal families, yeah. All right, Mickey. So I don't know how many episodes you're in. I, I've okay. So I intended to watch Game of Thrones this year. I have been catching it well after it airs, and apparently, it's kind of fascinating. It's kind of this really strictly enforced. You know, don't spoil Avengers Endgame. But Game of Thrones, hey, everybody's going to live tweet it. They're going to, you know, memes will be up within an hour of the show ending. <laughs> Everybody knows about the Starbucks cup. Everybody, you know, there's no, you, there's no spoiler enforcement on the TV show. But on, but Avengers, it was like, man, this, you know, I saw, you know, they, they, there was somebody in China who, who yelled out spoilers. I still haven't seen it. 
Yeah. So I, I will not. I will do my best to not spoil anything for you. Um, I tell the story to the person in China. Oh, it's the person yelled out spoilers and like the crowd beat him. I, I don't know to death. He didn't um, yell out like the word spoilers. He actually was yelling out yes. the spoilers. Yeah. In front of crowds waiting to get in to see it. Yeah, and the, and the widespread reaction of most people on Twitter was, hey, you know what? He had it coming. Oh, absolutely. I feel like that is a beat down territory. And I just, like, why would you do that? Like, why would you ruin the fun for somebody else? There, there was an official statement from Amnesty International saying, yeah, we can't defend this. You know? <laughs> do, do whatever you want to him. You know, what a boring I mean, like, I haven't seen it yet. I have heard bits and pieces. I, I don't know if I'd call them spoilers or whatever. Um, but I still feel like in three hours of a movie, I'm going to be surprised by a lot of it. Yeah. And, um, I'm excited to try and go see it. Actually, we're going to try and see it later this week if possible. But again, just because of my traveling schedule, Mm -hmm. I have not had time to sit down for three hours in one place and see a movie. Um, so I'm hoping to be able to maybe get that done. If not this, the end of this week, maybe in two weeks, I'll get to see it. Like (laughs) it doesn't get better for me. Um, but anyway, long story short, I, I'm excited to see it. I've heard nothing but positive things from the people that have been great gracious enough to give me their overall perception without giving me any details. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's crushing records at the box office. And when I do go see it, I'll probably be like the last person in America to see it. You, you may be. Um, and so we, the entire spoiler enforcement is now for Mickey. That, that she's the last person. You know, <laughs> if you see her on the street, don't yell anything you else. Bad for me. This is you should be sympathetic towards me and feel pity because I have not had the opportunity to see it yet because I have not been able to schedule it. Well, so I uh, so you know, revealing our travels uh, two weeks ago was in Indianapolis for the National Rifle Association's annual meeting. Uh, it was eventful. Um, but you know, so the other thing I was like, oh, maybe I'll get a chance to see it. Maybe I won't. I told the boys and my wife that I'd you know, we'd all watch it as a family, we couldn't do it that weekend, so we'd have to see it the following weekend. Thought about sneaking away to see it, and you can't exactly sneak away to catch a three-hour movie. Right? <laughs> you know, I went over, I was like, oh, maybe I can catch a, you know, I look at the time when it's available, opening night, there was still one at 11, and I'm looking at it and saying, I'm going to get out at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can't do that. You know? um, so we, we had to wait a week. Just, uh, I'm gone. Yeah. Uh, the boys were, were stressed because there were kids at school who were saying stuff, and thankfully, some of the spoilers that they were told turned out to be true. Some of the spoilers they were told turned out to not be true because there were kids who didn't see it and were just making up stuff <laughs> so that they didn't. Well, there you go. Yeah. They uh, learned a valuable lesson. Okay. So let me, can I, can I, I'm going to try to give you my completely spoiler free thoughts. Okay. Give it to me. All right. Um, first of all, it is every bit as epic and it earns all the praise and accolades you've been hearing. Um, you would, there are some people who say, oh, three hours, it flies by. It does not fly by. Empty your bladder, um, contemplate, you know, mild dehydration if necessary. Um, there really isn't any good scene where I could say, oh, when this thing happens, you can go take a few minutes to go pee or something like that. I, I don't think, uh, there are any scenes that I'd consider to be, you know, filler or waste or anything like that. Um, I think it is a, not just it's not just a sequel to the Avengers movies so much as a spiritual sequel to just about every film Marvel has made. Does that does that feel like I'm getting into spoiler territory or anything or Um no, no, I think that you're still capturing more the vibe than the specifics. Okay. Uh some amazing cameos. 
um, people who you thought were, you know, that, that story has been done and there's no reason to see that figure to come back. will come back. Um, I, it makes a, I, okay, go ahead. I heard it described by someone as a love letter to the fans. I think so. Um, and there are, you know, there are certain movies, there, there are a lot of movies in the, you know, the Marvel series where you could say, ah, you know, you don't really need to see this previous one to understand what's going on or, or, you know, um, you know, again, something you'd probably know from the trailer or something, you know, Captain Marvel shows up as you'd expect. And, uh, you, the, the, the interesting thing is that yeah. I think you'd have, if you hadn't seen Captain Marvel, her appearance here would seem kind of out of the blue. You, you wouldn't know who this character is and what she does and all that stuff. This is the first movie where like, if, if you haven't seen all whatever preceding 21 movies or whatever, mm-hmm. Um, so the more of them you've seen, the more of you'll, the more you'll recognize these references and callbacks and payoffs and, uh, all kinds of things. And it's not, you know, it's, it's less, oh, you won't know what they're talking about so much as, oh, I remember back when this series mm-hmm. began, this character had this problem with this issue. And now mm-hmm. this scene demonstrates they've come to terms with that problem. Um, it's much more about the emotional journeys seeming, seeming to wrap up, uh, uh, very, oh, wow. so, so you're all smitten too. I, I'm all smitten with one catch and here's the challenge to see how, how generically I can describe this. Okay. So when you create a fictional world, you can either try to make it very realistic, like the world you see outside your window, like the real world. Mm-hmm. Or you can make it very different. And Marvel was always kind of trying to watch walk this as a uh, as a tightrope. Uh, I won't give you any spoilers from this movie. So you know, remember the early Iron Man movies had cameos by Jim Cramer and mm-hmm. Bill O'Reilly, and you know real life yeah. news reporters. Um, uh, what's Elon Musk has an appearance uh, in the first Iron Man movie? There he's trying to help this, the, the troops in Afghanistan. So it's it's taking place in a world that's very similar to ours. Then, of course, Iron Man comes along. Then Thor comes along. Um, we find out that Captain America was this figure fighting in World War II that everybody thought was just this propaganda trick or something. Um, mm-hmm. And you create a world that's slightly different from the world outside our window. Mm-hmm. Bit by bit, the world of the Marvel Universe looks more and more different than the real life because you've had all these, you know, Alien invasions and you know crazy things happen, et cetera. Um, giant killer robots and, and things like that. And now in this one, um, they've really changed the, the world of of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. No longer looks anything like the world outside our window. And I, my fear is, there have been a couple times in the Marvel series where they've done something that looks very dramatic and a big change. And within a movie or two, some subsequent writing team has looked at this and said, yeah, we can't make this idea work. And mm-hmm. they just abandoned it. And I think probably the biggest example I'd say is end of Iron Man 3, he blows up all of his suits. By the way, have right. you seen Iron Man 3? I hope I didn't spoil it for that one for you. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't think I have, but I think that was because I was told not to watch it. Yeah, I, it was. Uh, my sister and my and my, you know, and my and my brother, <laughs> Melvin, if you will, um, kind of. They they tell me what I need to see and what I don't okay. need to see, or Christiana will tell me what I need to see. Now I have seen all of them since Black Panther came out. Okay, um, you know that th- there are you can you, uh, my my fear would be that something very big happens in this movie, 
and that in a movie or two, some subsequent writing team is going to say, you know, it's really tough to make a story that people are going to relate to if we account for this giant change. So we're just going to have to hand wave it away, and we're going to pretend it didn't happen, and we're going to try to make the world in the Marvel. So what you're mad about? About is something that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, yeah, and I'll just leave it at that. And that's you know, okay. half the listeners are probably yelling at their podcast right now. No, what Mickey? What happens is blah 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 blah. No. Um, so yeah, to go any further would be spoilers. But I think they may have written themselves into a corner, and they may have to uh, undo it fairly certain. But uh, hey, at least we've always got the consistent writing of Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> Look. It really is by far like if, if Dave were still doing the podcast with us right now, I'd make him play the game through his music because to me, yes, because to me, the music is so much a character mm. of the show. And I know people talk about like settings and scenes being a character and sometimes music, but this, this music tells the story. I mean, one of the things I recognized specifically in the long night, Mm -hmm. um, which was the episode where they battled the night King was that there were very few words. It Mm -hmm. was, it was an exceptionally, um, I'd love to know exactly how many, lines and words were used during that episode, but it was almost all told in, in, complete silence um but guided by the music Mm -hmm. and of course the very 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 dark lighting um do are you satisfied with this final season do you like the direction it's going in do you have any you know strong feelings about who should have the throne okay let's talk about that because here's the thing i'm really happy with where it's going so far i felt like the long night may have been one of the best episodes i've ever seen um on television ever and and I I felt like the last episode was what they're kind of famous for is that transitional episode. Um, mm-hmm. Now I believe that in other seasons they may have extended this transitional episode to two or three episodes as they've done in the past, like where you know kind of moving the story forward, but only little teeny bits at a time because it's you know one you know. Kind of minor things moving here or there. Instead, mm-hmm. what they've done, in my opinion, is kind of condensed a little bit of that um, into one transitional episode, which is the one we just watched. Um, and it was um, it was leading us all to believe that like the real fight is coming. And I'm okay with this. Like mm. so far, I'm okay with the direction that's going. Like, but I would have been fine with it going on for you know five more seasons too. Um, I feel like, you know, obviously this was something the writers and the actors, you know, they were ready for it to be over. Mm. Um, so it is. But at the same time, you know, I think that certainly HBO is trying to milk it for all it's worth, not just with what's happening now, but with the idea of launching the prequel, which should be very interesting um, to see mm. what direction they go with that. Um, but yeah, I, now you you watched it and then quit watching it. Where are you at with it now? Um, I think I am more fascinated by the reaction to it. Um, and I think I decided at some point, I, I stopped somewhere around the mountain crushes the guy's head in the, mm-hmm. the gladiator style, you know, <clears throat> and what has made Game of Thrones stand apart from almost, the any, you know, almost the any other pop culture show is that the, the, the good guys can not only, you know, not win, the good guys can die. 
there's a pretty good chance the good guys will die a terrible death and you will watch. (laughs) Right? George R.R. Martin, foreshadowing our future conversation, George R.R. Martin is a New York Jets fan. And I can recognize (laughs) that suffering and depression and cruelty and twists of fate poking you in the eye over and over again. Um, This actually explains quite a bit. Right? Yeah. So knowing that he's a Jets fan should have been something we keep in mind because obviously he's some type of masochist. So everything the show does is very well done in terms of the performances and the sets and the action and the intricacies of the plot. You know, I, I, there's not a lot, to, but it all turns into something that's kind of exhausting to watch, um, particularly since there's this atmosphere of dread of. When characters try to do the right thing, they generally get punished for it. And um, hard. Right? I mean, that this there's there is a uh inverse karma that the more you try to do the right thing in the Game of Thrones universe, the more first of all, if you trust anyone, they will betray you. Yes. Right? That, that's almost a given. Um if you try to help someone, it will backfire in your face. Uh mm-hmm. any mercy generally you know, I remember having this conversation with um, at Political Math uh, about this way back when. And, and so as a result, it kind of became just a hard show to watch and enjoy. It was well done, but hard to enjoy. There are a lot of shows that I think are engrossing, but not necessarily enjoyable. Now, see, I would disagree with you in that I feel like, I, and I guess, that, you know, everyone's a little bit different. And certainly the episode of The Mountain and the Viper, which I think was really troubling for you it's one of my favorites and it's certainly definitely one of mr bias favorites in this household um so like everybody likes different things and in this particular case like we actually like the introduction i think more so of the family of dorn um and and the people that they brought into the storyline and and of course the viper himself was great character i i always felt like the guy who played um the viper which is the man that the mountain killed Mm -hmm. um I feel like if they, when, not if, when they do a Burt Reynolds movie, <laughs> he could be the guy who plays him. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I believe the same now actor that you've had a seen role. It, you'll never not see it, I hope. I think you are correct. He has a role in the um, the Kingsman sequel uh, play, that, which, which, by the way, at some point we should discuss as it's one of the more bizarre action series I think I've ever uh, as I've ever seen there. But anyway, just kind of returning back to Game of Thrones. So I am curious to see how it ends. And I feel like there's been such a consistent, like a lot of people speculated what would make the most sense is if the Night King ended up on the throne. Um, apparently, yeah. from what I understand, that's not likely to happen. <laughs> Bar- um, you know, I, you I know. think it's, you know, I'm not going to try to give specific spoilers, even though, as you mentioned, most people are just winging it online. Um, I, I would just say that I feel like they should not underestimate some. I don't think they should underestimate the Stark sisters um, and their willingness to make a claim for the the throne. And of course, I don't think you should ever underestimate Cersei and just how ruthless she actually is. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that there's a um, there is something. I don't want to say thrilling isn't necessarily the right word, but to watch characters for whom um, there are no moral limitations, um, but who also have some, usually some sort of like human response of, I will defend my family, I will protect my family, and I will, yeah. I will do the worst things in the world if necessary. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, raw ambition is celebrated in some cases, in other cases demonized. But one of the other things that's 
it, it's kind of fascinating, as you mentioned, that you know that you can't build up good karma on this show. That's not. It doesn't matter. However, one of the things that can happen is you can build up bad karma. And it often feels like the writers after, sometimes it's a whole season of a torturous character or two seasons or three. In the case of Joffrey, I think he didn't die until like season four or five. And my God, like all you wanted was for him to be put down. And so when he dies, you're like, yes, he's dead. You know, obviously there are many deaths when you're like, oh, my God, John, the ground, I can't believe that just happened. Yeah. And there are other people who die that you're like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Was it leave it to my colleague Ramesh Puduru in some early discussion of the show was talking about Ned Stark. And he says, you know, Ned Stark's flaw was that he misjudged the era that he was in. Meaning that he was operating by a certain set of a code of ethics, a certain set of rules, a certain way of looking at the world and believing that this would win out in the kingdom and in the struggle for power and, and all that stuff. And he, and he gambled and he lost, you know, that, that in the record, he should have recognized that, you know, he was not going to have the allies that he needed and people would not see Joffrey as this maniacal king. And one of the last kind of thought on jo- Joffrey though, when Joffrey gets killed on the one hand, yes, the whole audience is, yay, we finally killed that child. Um, and I always feel like mm-hmm. his last moments, Joffrey didn't look menacing and you didn't feel that you realize in the end that Joffrey was a kid. And that even though he was a cruel and barbaric and maniacal, twisted kid. What the hell yeah. is wrong with you, Jim Gary? Okay. No, 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 no. Joffrey no. was a maniacal monster who needed to be put down. He had hurt so many women at that point. He was hurting Sansa on the regular. And I didn't give a shit if he poisoned him. I felt like poisoning was too good for him. Um, I would have been fine with really any of the options that were available. Uh, the good thing is that he did, in fact, suffer a wee bit. Mm. Um, so I disagree with you entirely on your nonsense about having sympathy because he's a child or some nonsense. He was a monster. Um, so I definitely disagree with you there. But the other thing I would say to you is that it it was very interesting, um, because early on they taught you don't get attached to anyone, right? Mm. Because we could take them away from you. And yet they have also spent the entire, um, series and building us up on John and Danny, who, if you were to just watch the first episode again, they're kind of like side characters. Because he's the brother being mm-hmm. shipped off to the wall, the bastard son being shipped off to the wall, and she's the sister being sent off to be raped by Khal Drago. Yeah, I, mean, I also observed that, like, I think, I think the moment the dragon eggs show up, it becomes clear that Danny's, the, she's going to be an important character. Um, do, you think she, do you think the story is ultimately going to be about her losing her way? That for much of this show, we saw her as the honorable one with the, the person who most deserved to sit on the Iron Throne and who had the, you know, was the right kind of strong and all that stuff. Who, or, or, or you, because in recent episodes, she's not <laughs> a reassuring leader. Correct. Um, there, there, you know, obviously her father was the Mad King. Mm-hmm. So there are some concerns for obvious reasons that she might also become obsessed with the power. And, start burning her citizens as well. Um, look, I, I find it very hard to believe, and you know, everybody will be able to come back and listen to this podcast. Um, I find it hard to believe that Danny or John will end up on the throne, although either one of them would be fine by me. Because while there are many complaints to be made 
made about Denny. There are complaints I would make about John and his decision making as well, specifically on the use of the dragons, but that's like a whole other thing. Um, but I feel like it, I think that we'd be wrong to, like I said, to underestimate Sansa or to underestimate Cersei because Cersei is ruthless. Like, Absolutely ruthless. And one of the things you were speaking about earlier is you know, Ned Stark was living in a different time. No. Ned Stark made the mistake of going to Cersei mm. and telling her that he was going to tell Robert about the ch- children being products of incest. Mm-hmm. And he thought that Cersei would step down or step aside out of shame. Mm-hmm. And again, what I believe to be one of the key things in this whole thing is don't trust Cersei and don't underestimate her. It would be, so my, my, I could be wrong. My, my theory would be that Cersei would not end up on the throne because she already is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, so the, the show would not, you know, that for, for there to be a sense of a climax, for the sense of a, I would you know, love to see something really crazy like Sansa on the throne and then Arya's kind of like her protector. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, particularly considering the rivalry, you know, maybe 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 even Tyrion's hanging out just because. But there's only going to be a handful that live, and people were complaining because you know they didn't feel like enough people had died. And I'm like, dear God, if this had been any other show, you guys would have been like, what the hell happened? Like Thanos only killed half, dead, and we've got two episodes left. So hey, yeah. you know, like I don't, I don't know how else they they couldn't kill everybody all the way out because then they wouldn't have any show left. People, what the hell? I guess we'll see, you know, we'll um, watch. Finish your point. I don't mean to interrupt. Oh no, 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 you're totally fine. It's just again, I I kind of get on tangents with these things because. I, as you know, and and listeners know that I'm late coming to this show, but I have become obsessed with it to the point where, okay, so we wa- got a new episode on Sunday night. I have now watched that. This is, I think I've watched it twice, three mm-hmm. times. I've watched it three times. The first time and then two other times. Because instead of watching new programming last <laughs> night, I watched that. I, I, I've had those times. I, I've had times where I turn to an old favorite because you just click through the channels and don't like anything you see. No, what I, you know, it's really interesting because with Game of Thrones, there's always like layers and so much going on and some nods here and there. And in this particular episode, you may have heard that the, one of the editors got a little lazy um, <laughs> because there ultimately ended up being a coffee cup that everyone thought was a Starbucks cup, but apparently it was just a coffee cup in general um, from craft services there and it was on the table when they were all in the great hall in uh, Winterfell and so they have actually HBO has actually gone in now and it digitally edited out yeah um, I, so I'm disappointed about that digital edit- editing because first of all I wanted to salute Howard Schultz and Starbucks for the greatest product placement of all time, all um, time. That, that no one you know that but the other thing is that you know look it kind of adds to the charm of the show. <laughs> you know, I don't, it's like, oh, this totally takes me out of this scene because, you know, somebody two days later pointed out that there was a uh, plastic, you know, coffee lid on the table. I, I, that struck me as, you know, a little bit of an overreaction here. I, I was going to, going back to the the question of who ends up on the, thr- the throne. Mm-hmm. Mickey, we, we, as we talk about, no other show threatened viewers with this, there could be unhappy endings. We're going to deliver Mm -hmm. you lots of unhappy endings. 
So there's a part of me that feels like if it ends with anything that resembles a happy ending, whether it's Jon Snow, whether it's Sansa, whether it's uh, uh, you know any character where you're like, oh, okay, that you know the the, the, the seven kingdoms are fun. Right, so, isn't it basically if Cersei's not on the throne, it's a win for everybody? Pretty much, right? I mean, the, you know, again, it certainly looks like at this point uh, they will not all for, fall before an endless army of White Walkers. Um, there's no other, you know, giant menacing mystical threat on the horizon that was this was all a distraction from or something like that. But but part of it is like the, if the theme of the show is that there are only fleeting, you know, <laughs> victories. And mm-hmm. then you know, the game. The other is the Game of Thrones: you win or you die. And then the Game of mm-hmm. Thrones never ends, right? There right. is never a lengthy. And then and then the good king was on the throne, and things turned out fine. The history of the Seven Kingdoms is well. Then we went from that maniac to this maniac, <laughs> right? And this yeah. deeply flawed king to that deeply flawed king, and uh, you know. Well, and there lies part of the issue in that the Targaryens ruled for centuries um, when they ruled the seven kingdoms and they had a strong bond with Starks in the North. Um, however, it only takes one, you know, to spoil the whole bunch, so to speak. And the mad King was that one. And so they rebelled against the Targaryen family at that point, which began all of this craziness. And I think that it's like, I think it's wild how much myself included, by the way, like 100% myself included, how much I'm invested in the history of these people, which is why I think it's brilliant that they're doing a prequel because they've made that happen over the years by telling stories and whatnot. But like, I'm already like, okay, yeah, I kind of do want to know what happened. Yeah. The, the, one of the, the arts of good storytelling is that for whatever your opening scene is, your opening page, if your chap, whatever, you know, whenever the story begins, things happened before we, we, the audience or we, the reader started watching. And so mm-hmm. the question is how often do we get hints that, those things happened and how often do we get, you know, signs of that thing of those previous events having ramifications in the world of our characters. And, you know, probably game of Thrones does this as well as any, certainly as well as any TV show and probably better than almost any fictional world of creating, you know, um, I remember when they talked about kind of the, the grimy situation of star Wars, it was a lived in universe, right? It was you, mm-hmm. you know, there was a sense that you know, things, a lot of, you know, every time you see ruins of a great castle, you know that at one point that was a great castle and that was an important place and that maybe it's all kind of right. forgotten to history now, but it had an impact on this world. And it kind of is also this hint that, you know, the fate of these characters could be similarly uh, uh, grim for that. So, Oh, absolutely. I mean, it w- again, oftentimes people talk about the scenery and how much that pays a part. Um, I feel like they got a little crazy on the CGI this this season. Um, I feel like if they don't fix the situation with Ghost, I'm going to be really mad mm. at Jon Snow. And it's probably going to make it easier for him to die. So if that was the intent, good job. <laughs> um, and, and for those of you who have not seen it yet, let's just say, like, always pet your dog. That's what I'm saying. That's all. I was also going to observe that, it. like, it, you know, you, look, you watch the first season of those early episodes. Mm-hmm. Before the dragons show up, uh, before they're really dealing with the White Walkers, you know. But the it, it, way they're tied together with like mythology at that time and mm, things that they talk about, it blows my mind. There's yeah, a conversation it, that's had by Rose the prostitute that I always point to people, and it's in the first episode, I believe, and she talks about all the things she's seen, and it's amazing because it references things that are you're about to see. The um. Actually, I've been thinking about this in terms of a lot of supernatural shows and stuff like that. 
they never, you know, you're watching a movie and let's pretend it's called like Night of the Vampire. And the <laughs> character has their first encounter with a vampire and they're like, blah, what are you telling me? Vampires are real? And we're like, yeah, you're in a movie called Night of the Vampire. <laughs> you know, we know right. vampires are real because we're watching a vampire movie. Catch up, <laughs> right? Whereas yes. if you introduce the story and all of these things seem like they went extinct long ago and this is all ancient superstition and all that stuff, it means that when the characters are surprised that dragons are real, when the characters are surprised that white walkers are real, it's as surprising to us too because we've watched at least a season or two, if not more, in which these things were considered to not exist by the characters and we bought into that worldview of these characters. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. 100%. Um, and I think that, again, it's, it's the creation. And, you know, I've talked about this off the air, but it's the, the idea that Martin was able to create a universe. And, you know, it's maybe borrowed or inspired by other universes, but he created a universe with a storyline and a hook so strong that not only the books were such a, a huge success, but then turned it into this HBO show with this, mm -hmm. you know, literally cult-like following. Oh yeah, um, it's got you know, a, it, a, a a bit of token. I'm not going to be okay when the show's over. Like I feel like you guys <laughs> should know that. Like I am not going to be okay. Few of us and it's gotten to the point now where Mr. Bias, every time he's watching it, needs to have a glass of red wine because that's what the characters do all the time. <laughs> it'd be interesting to see to track wine sales. With Game yes. of Thrones airings, I bet that I bet that red wine sales are up during Game of Thrones series seasons. So um, I'm going I'm to shift from one icon of our era to another, uh, just because it just okay. happened today. I saw you tweeting oh. about it a little bit earlier today, and I'm curious to get your your full thoughts. First of all, okay, so the, the headline was Tyra Banks is on the cover of the Sports Illustrated uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. So a couple of surprises. One, you know, this means like. Isn't the swimsuit issue usually come out in, like, February? I don't know. They okay. could put out this too and nobody would know. All right. I, I thought it was always a winter thing. And the whole idea was like, ah, you know, there's this Super Bowl's over. March Madness is a month away. Thought, well, meanwhile, I thought it was a spring thing. Like, same concept. Okay. Super Bowl's over, blah, blah, blah. But it was, like, pre-swimsuit season. Okay. So um, what do you think of, of Tyra Banks making the big comeback? She looks fantastic. She does. Not going to dispute uh, that. Yeah. I think that if I looked that good at her age or any other age, I would be totally okay with posing for the cover of Sports Illustrated. I need our listeners to understand, and you already know this about me, that if I had a body like that, I'd be running around naked all the time. You couldn't stop me. Um, if only so the world, if only that world could be. That I would not be in like the Sports Illustrator or something. Uh, let's point out though that like she's 45. That's not ancient. <laughs> that's not, you know, speaking oh, as someone right. who's 45, just you know, a little bit down but the road. The yeah. Swimsuit model to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And I think that's yeah, kind of cool. Um, I, I, I'm looking at, I'm recognizing people. Oh, no, are, they could put Christy Brinkley on the cover though, and she's like 60 some. Mm. She looks fantastic. Uh, people are comparing this to her with her daughters. Um, comparing this to her uh, one from the 1990s, I think you could argue she looks better now. Um, and obviously, she was nothing to you know sneeze at back in 1997. Um, yes. But anyway, I just, I just remember too that we have a great deal better airbrushing software now 
than we used to have as well. So, uh, you know, you also want to take that into consideration. Um, but so I guess, yeah, okay, question. Is this like a, yet another manifestation of 90s nostalgia? <laughs> you know, or even, even bringing back the classic... Me, uh, but yes, I think that you're not... Well, I don't know that Tyra is necessarily 90s nostalgia. But I definitely think that there are people who are trying to romanticize the 90s. And those of us who, like, 90s were, like, kind of our formative years. I know you're into mm-hmm. the 80s, but the 90s were much more our formative years. Like... It's weird to me because there was nothing really romantic or awesome about the 90s. Like, what am I missing? All right. Because so, okay, so, I saw you something about Reality Bites Unplugged. <laughs> and I think it was about one of the presidential candidates. And I thought, oh, my God, right. Because in a weird way, they're trying to market to Gen X, which is something that no one really ever tries to do. And do you know why that is, Jim? Why? Because we're small compared to the boomers well, and millennials? That is, that's definitely one part of it. And the other part of it is we're also like the most cynical generation and one of the most difficult to actually market to. That's a good point. Yeah, we, we spent a lot of time in front of the television and we recognized all the commercials were trying to sell us stuff. And we got very cynical about people trying to make us, you know, want to buy things. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, listeners will know, I, have, I, I periodically refer to this novel. Um, I will tell you, everyone, all listeners, all about it when the Amazon page is up, which I am told is going to happen any day now, but it hasn't. And so as a result of that, I'm being told, don't talk about it because people will look on Amazon. They won't find it. They'll get frustrated and they'll forget about your book. But there's a chunk of my book, of my novel where I make a reference to the 90s. And I talk about one of my recurring themes, um, which is whatever everyone talks about. Oh, the 90s were this awesome time of, you know, Bill Clinton and sex scandals and the dot coms and... Uh, the Macarena, remember that, you know. Um, Mickey, you, I think you agree with me. The 90s were a time of like unbelievably weird, creepy paranoia. Yes. Right? You think of the the Hale-Bopp Comet, first of all, just for cults, right? You got David Koresh. Mm-hmm. You got the Hale-Bopp Comet cult. You got Um Shirinko. Like, people forget, there was like a sarin gas attack on the Tokyo subway. Right? right. If that happened today, that would be like, you know, blazing, get into, you know, headed to your basements type news. It happened and it wasn't even a huge story back then because we were still reading about Jeffrey Dahmer eating people. Right. <laughs> I'm like, there was just weird st- stuff going on all the time. There's a Not reason to X-Files. The fact that so- it made that move culturally into a very weird spot. Mm. And that was definitely something between like the grunge music where it kind of replaced the, the hair bands of the 80s. Um, and really any kind of general rock and roll, it was all grunge smothering out everything else on the rock side, um, for a very, for a minute there. And then also at that time you had what would be considered kind of like gangster rap or whatever. Um, and, and that was very much a thing that was going on in the nineties as well, which resulted in the deaths of Tupac, which resulted in the death of Biggie Smalls, which result, you know, and of course we had the heroin situation going on, killing off Kurt Cobain, you know, suicide, heroin, whatever, same difference. Just that thing about heroin. And there were like several other, Others from I, I can't remember if it was Alice in Chains or, um, but it, like Stone Temple Pilots, there were just a lot of them that had drug problems. The nineties were a very dark and confusing time. People wore really ugly clothes as well. I don't <laughs> understand why people are suddenly very interested in the nineties. The nineties are like the seventies with a better economy. Yeah, I think the uh, the popping of the dot com bubble was driven in part by the crash in the uh, the button industry 
because every <laughs> suit had been double-breasted for at least a good five years there. Yes. Um, so like, yeah. It was just, again, it was one of those, it was a very confusing time. Um, and it's really interesting to me because now there's several sitcoms that are set in the 90s where, you know, the 90s are kind of fun and hip because, of course, they're like the 70s show, like when we were in the 90s, which is beyond bizarre, but true. Um, it's just that I, I guess I struggle having lived through it to find it to be cute. Um, yeah, and it's interesting when you see I, I'm somebody had done this interesting argument where they said if you show let's let's take any film scene that takes place in the 80s film today, show it to someone in the 80s. What will strike them as wrong? What will strike them as not quite looking right? Um, a lot of interesting answers to this question. And one of them was, you know. People forget, like, when, you know, if, if I went into uh, Mickey's house in 1982 or 1983, there'd still be a lot of stuff in it that was bought in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like the decade changes and suddenly everything became neon and synthesizer uh, guitars and stuff like that. Right. But generally, you know, decades kind of bleed into each other. And the idea that, you know, that so, so there, there's the, one, there's that thing, but also the, I think we're going to look at scenes that are filming, you know, movies, stuff that's set in the 90s, and it won't quite ring true to us because it'll be this, um, it won't quite tap into that cultural alienation. It won't quite turn into the, tap into that sense of like, um, you know, the, I said the, the heroine chic of supermodeling, uh, independent film, uh, even you know Oklahoma City and stuff. Just just this sheer sense of like you know, I guess that X Files described it better than anybody else because X Files, as much as it was a sci-fi show, tapped mm-hmm. into this. Wait, something's not right here. Some you know, there there are things going on that don't make sense and that just didn't seem to fit that sunny Reagan optimism of the 1980s. Yes. Plus UFOs, yeah. So I re- pardon me for uh, bringing it down. Oh, okay, another another relic of the '90s that is actually coming to an end fits well with the Tyra Banks discussion, Mickey. Um, did you notice? Did you hear the news that ESPN, the magazine, is uh, is ceasing publication? Yes, um, I actually did see that happening, and I, you know, it's weird because I kind of remember when that came out and it was like a big deal. Because mm-hmm. um, remember, it was oversized and it had big yeah. shiny so- pictures, and it was an interesting paper at that time as well. And it's not surprising that it's going out of print. I think what's more surprising to me, if I'm being completely honest, is that it was still in print in 2019. I was going to say, I remember when it, you know, the, the, when it was announced, ESPN is now creating its own print magazine. It was like, oh, wow, they're, they're going to go toe to toe with Sports Illustrated, right? This, you know, Sports Illustrated had been the sports magazine sitting there on the newsstand. Yes. And ESPN, you know, arguably, you know, the most, was it, was it called the most powerful name in sports or, you know, um, the idea that, hey, here we have this, you know, everything you love on this television network back when it used to show sports instead of just guys yelling at each other. <laughs> um, and it would be, you know, oh, wow, this would be really good. And you mentioned, I, I always liked the idea of ESPN, the magazine, and then I would pick it up and it would be big and bulky because it was this weird on you. It's like they decided, mm-hmm. what if a magazine was square? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, I, I kind of yeah. like the eight and a half by eleven size. It, it's always worked for me. Why are you? You know, why are you? You know, just as I. <laughs> this would be a. But again, marketing life. ploy being that it what it was, we definitely knew when we were dealing with that particular magazine versus any other sports magazine. Yeah. 
Um, the, the classic deep cut, long-time listeners know, I think there's nothing wrong with the old-fashioned do-not-disturb thing you hang on your door <laughs> in a hotel. <laughs> I similarly don't see any need to change. It's not like someone say, hey, let's make National Review square and see how people react. Um, nice. Right. Now, the other thing is also you'd pick it up and it looked like a bunch of like art school students had decided to design it with the most uncomfortable colors, fonts, font sizes. Um, and I could tell they're good writers, good photographers. It's not really like seriously into their graphic design, though, early on and their layout. Mm-hmm. You may recall as well, and um, and and now that you're mentioning it, like I can picture it as well, and the color choices and some of the choices for the covers. It was a cross um, between an album color, album cover, and a uh, and a PowerPoint presentation. Yes, <laughs> you know, like you you pick it up, you turn the page, you're like, wait, what am I looking at here? <laughs> you know, are you are you trying to tell me this team this team has a good running game or not? I can't, you know, and there's little figurines in the corners and factoid. It, it was you know. Th- printed up sideways and up and it was just like it was way too busy (laughs) well and again it was to be clever like espn because sports illustrated i think was supposed to be like your daddy's magazine Mm -hmm. and espn was the new young hip generation right watching cable news sports and so they needed this young hip magazine until of course they didn't need that magazine because people are online now yeah, you know, I you know, as a you know, speaking on behalf of all people who work for magazines, this is not necessarily a good trend. Um, but also kind of well, thinking, but legitimately, you have to have both. Like, if you want to have an online presence, that's fantastic. You should to have money revenue drawing in from that. But what you need to understand is then your magazine has to shift from being kind of a you know breaking stories, current events type thing to being mm-hmm. more of feature story. Yeah, uh, when when Sports and Illustrated more has more in depth writing. Yeah, when Sports Illustrated has Tiger Woods at the Masters holding his, you know, you know, you already know what happened, but you know, mm-hmm. Sports Illustrated is going to give you that. Here's the story of what it was like, and here's what was going through, and here, you know, it's going to tell you the story in a level of depth and interest. You know, for if mm-hmm. you're there was, and maybe that only appeals to you if you're like, wow, I'm I'm a big Tiger Woods fan. I got to read that story. You know. Um, also, you know, ESPN like long-form stories are good and they have a place, but they just have to be well done. And one of the problems that all of these kind of niche markets have gotten into, um, specifically with magazines, is that they, you know, and and I'm so sorry to do this. I'm so sorry, maximum security, but people need to stay in their lanes. Yeah, you know. Okay. It doesn't doesn't so well that these people step into politics all over the place. I just don't think it's a good idea. Like, and I know people, you know, piss and moan that, you know, they have a right to, yes, they do. They absolutely have a right to talk about things. Um, And people absolutely have the right to turn the channel or stop buying it. So, you know, you get what you get. I just would like to see some of these, some of these publications have the opportunity to tell amazing stories. And I, I have to believe that they have the talent on staff to do it. Um, they just need to be directed in the right path. The um, when uh, Jamel Hill and the other gentleman were going to take over the 6 p.m. Sports Center, not everyone. Commercials but... had emphasized mm-hmm. we're not just going to talk about sports. We're going to talk about pop culture. We're going to talk about music. We're going to you know. And I remember seeing things like, but the name of the show is Sports Center. <laughs> It's right. a, it's not vague. It's not sports and sports. Well, right. And it's not even politics. Like, 
it's it's not just politics like that that kills these shows at times. Sometimes, as you mentioned, like they're saying, you know, we want to talk about pop culture and music and politics, and it's like, no, dude, I didn't turn in to like hear the news about Britney Spears. I tuned in so that I could hear what was going on in sports today. Yeah. The other thing is also a lot and... of these person. I'm sorry, a lot of these personalities, with the exception of Will Kane, who uh, is terrific and did some stuff for us at NR way back when. Um, like I, you know, Stephen A. Smith can make me laugh you know, because he's always so in belief. You cannot, uh, you know, you know, he's, he's always like a guy who's had 14 cups of coffee and stuck a fork into an electric socket right before he went on air. Um, but that's, that's an exhausting personality to be around all the time. And I don't know if I necessarily want to watch Stephen A. Smith yelling at somebody like until he's having an aneurysm, uh, <laughs> day in, day out of every show. Um, and a lot of these personalities, I mean, I, I, for all the things that I listen to of talk radio or anything like that, nothing gets me screaming at my radio in fury like Colin Cowherd does. Right. <laughs> there are a few things that will make me yell at um, my radio or Sirius XM or whatever I'm listening to, like someone talking about the Steelers. Oh, there you are. Uh, so well, what are you yeah, hearing lately, I... uh, Mickey? Actually, everyone likes your draft pick, the linebacker. You did. Yeah, everybody said it was, it was it was a good way, good to move up, great pick, all that kind of stuff. So I, oh, uh, how are you feeling? About I thought you were suggesting that you liked it. I thought there was a, a specific reason. No, I I love it. I thought it was a great move. Um, I think that Kevin Colbert had lived by his own story, which is if you like a player, go get him, and he did. Um, I think he felt like he was a number five player, and he got them at the number ten slot, and he wasn't going to make it any further. So I'm glad that he moved up. We needed something like that. Um, the kid is very fast, um, and he moves in whatever direction the ball is going, like mm-hmm. whether that be side to side, back and forth. Um, I think he can go into coverage a little better than anybody else that we have right now. Um, so I certainly hope that he can learn the defense quickly. But it's my understanding that he also has a very strong character, and in that way reminds people of uh, Ryan Chazier, who, really exciting news, got married over the weekend. We actually had video of him dancing at his wedding reception, and that was just, you know, amazing. Um, you can find that on and pretty much anywhere on Twitter, and it's at, or online, I'm sorry, um, um, and it's just absolutely amazing. Um, so it's been, like, you know, a cool couple of weeks for Steelers fans. The draft went well. Um, Shazier was dancing at his wedding, something that brought us, you know, at least the people who live in this house and, and the people I know to tears. Oh. Um, it was just absolutely beautiful. And so, you know, it's, it's been a really good time. And then the other part of this, of course, is, you know, we shed a lot of, um, what would I call it? Um, baggage. <laughs> Dead weight. Um, and uh, in the off season, as you know, and it's amusing to me because they continue to be exactly who I thought they were. <laughs> so earlier this morning, you and Jazz Shaw, probably one of our most regular and loyal listeners, God bless you, Jazz, um, was, you were talking about Le'Veon Bell, who had not shown up for a voluntary team. They're not even doing a team minicamp. I think this year it's with the Jets. I think they're just doing a team meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's voluntary, and I'm not worried about it until he doesn't show up for something that isn't voluntary um but what, what's your thing do we buy a lemon did we uh sign somebody who's going to go off and decide he wants to make albums or something like that halfway through the season and congratulations jim it's a boy um <laughs> he's all yours and any of those things are possible he could show up or he could not 
I don't know. Um, I've definitely heard suggestions that people think that he's not going to show up for anything official because he'll have to take a drug test. But he would have already had to take a drug test when he signed the contract. Mm. So um, we are certainly within the time period in which they will randomly drug test the players. Um, and, you know, he again, he may have passed it. I can't imagine how. Um but he may have passed it this time around. I don't know what's going to happen for you. What I do know is that it's your problem. <laughs> well, yeah. that's the, the most Steelers play each other in December. We'll, we'll see how that yeah. uh, that'll be. Circle your calendar. I'm sure it'll be a big. We gotta have a. It would, we may do two shows that week, but just you know. Yeah, and I'm um, telling you, I feel the same way about AB. Right. So that's... we have other Raiders fans other than. Tyler, um, please do, you know, let me know if you want to have it out with me about this. But again, congratulations. It's a boy. He's yours. You get to keep him. Mm. Uh, as I say, Antonio Brown, uh, between the two, my, you know, I, there was a little bit of rumor of the Jets going after Brown. And, and my you notice the Jets have not had a long history of signing guys who were known for being troublemakers or problem or, you know, head cases or whatever. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're 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 generally a very cautious franchise when it comes to that. Now, new management, maybe they're you know new coach, maybe they have a different attitude towards this. But my sense is the Jets probably would have done their due diligence, done the cost benefit analysis, and concluded, okay, we think you know, we're not going to sign Le'Veon Bell to this if we don't have reasonable expectations. He's a not doing you know not only not doing any drugs or anything he's not supposed to, that he's going to show up, that he's going to work hard, that he's not going to you know um, you know have lots of off the field issues and stuff like that. They're not, say, the Raiders, <laughs> who have always had this bad boy image, and who, oh, by the way, are going to Las Vegas. Um, and wasn't there something like, was it that he's got some new teammate who he's fought with in the past or something? I feel like I'm... Mickey? Mickey? Sorry about that. I, I had muted it so that um, you could continue talking and I wouldn't, you know cut into your story there, but yes, no, he, interrupt um, me. <laughs> yes, I know, but I do it all the time. So sometimes I mute myself to stop myself. But anyway, perfect is the guy who actually gave Antonio Brown a concussion. Okay. There we go. That makes sense. So yeah. Okay. And then if you recall, Juju knocked perfect out. Yeah. Well, you know Later. what? I'm, I'm sure that at Raiders practices, they'll all just be singing Kumbaya and you know, don't oh, they can't work out. Like, oh yeah, it's all going to be good. It's not going to be good when they have to practice against each other. I'm telling you right now, it's not going to be good. Mm-hmm. And I knew from the minute that he got released that Perfect was going to end up with uh, a Raider because uh, stupid um, John Gruden. Every time that we played them, it felt like it must have been Monday nights because, and of course, you know, general Monday night games, and and the Bengals would be on TV, and he would be like, oh, oh, well, you know, I, I, Vontae, I'd have him, absolutely. Yeah, he'd be on my team, you know, I'd, I'd have that guy, he's a football player, you know how he talks. Yeah, and you're like, it, yeah. why, why would guy. you put this guy on your team? Like, he has such a terrible attitude, and he's done such horrible things, not only to your, like, other people, but to people on his team, and... He's just, you know, in general, a terrible sport. Like, why? Why? And, of course, Gruden was all about him. So I, I, know, people, I know people don't like the current uh, Monday Night Football team, but I don't mind Gruden departing because I got tired of week after week hearing, this guy right here is a football <laughs> player. And, well, good, because they're not paying him $3 million a year to be a plumber. <laughs> you know? Right? Like, if he can't play football, we've got problems. 
Um, this guy is a football player is what you say when you can't think of anything else to say about a player. <laughs> but that's the sort of thing guy. they tell you when you're like learning a foreign language at those programs. The pen is on the table. This <laughs> is a football player. Um, <laughs> we've now passed an hour. Uh, so we, we oh, wow. approach wrap up. But Mickey, I forgot to ask you about something. And now I feel like it, we, we, the, the episode would not be complete. You know what? We, we're good to go a little bit long because it's been, you know, a little bit long since we've had another episode. So by any chance, Mickey, have you heard about any interesting Game of Thrones merchandising opportunities? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, God bless America and capitalism. Um, there are a million things that people are selling right now. And, and I'm sure you've probably seen it over the years. They have, the co- you know, Halloween costumes, obviously. You can get your own little dragon. You get your own Khaleesi wig. Um they have the outfits that go from like, you know, 50 bucks an outfit to $1,000 an outfit. Um, they have the mugs and t-shirts that say things like, I know things and I drink. That's what I do. Um, I drink and I know things. That's what I do. I'm sorry. And certain little, you know, quotes about the Game of Thrones. And even last year, I got Mr. Bias a ugly Christmas sweater that said, deck the wall. And on it, it had a picture of the wall. From <laughs> um, including the Night's Watch in front of it. Mm. Um, and it was awesome. But what they have introduced now is something that I did not see coming. I, and I probably should have, Jim. But apparently, if you're so inclined, um, male or female, you can find yourself a Game of Thrones vibrator. That's right. They're themed and Game of Thrones branded, I guess. My guess is they're probably not actually branded by Game of Thrones. They've just got the creatures that look like them, so to speak. I was about to say and, copyright law, copyright lawyers online too. Um, so when you say for each character, all of them or particular ones or. Um, look, I, here's what I would tell you. I had just kind of popped in and, and taken a look at that when we were doing all of our research on Game of Thrones and what was going on. Um, and that popped up and I felt like it was certainly one more sharing, but it's also one of those things like, are we really that surprised though? I mean, this is what we do. I'm, I'm, I'm as, as certain that there's a Game of Thrones dildo out there as I am certain that there's probably like a well, I know that there are Game of Thrones outfits for babies. That I guess I could get. Although you probably wouldn't want... Didn't, didn't the, the Night King steal a baby or something? And he does some sort of touch and turns the baby into a... And then somebody ate them. Ah, well, there you go. All right. So, you know, again, you know, again, it's this is probably not a tie-in babies. snack food that we need. Yeah, it's all the male babies. And um, that was how Gilly ended up with Samuel Tully. Mm. That would, um, yeah, that that would be kind of kind of even by the standards of Game of Thrones, kind of creepy. Although I guess again, the entire collection of bedroom accoutrements uh, seems kind of like is the Night King one cold? <laughs> well, they could be, you know, of fire and ice. So one ah, would be hot. Ugh, okay, yeah. There, I'm thinking. Of, um, I think yeah. I think of Game of Thrones. Um, I can see that there could be some like shield-like activity. Um, perhaps, you know, you just don't know. And so I suspect that if you go online and you Google it, you'll be shocked as I was. Um, The category of things you don't want her to say in the bedroom would 
you know nothing, Jon Snow, rank high up there? I don't know, because I think if you were role-playing, it might be kind of hot. Like, uh, okay. because obviously the cave scene was one of the true, like, sex scenes of the whole show. And uh, and they're an item now, right? Did they get married, or are they just a... Uh, just... They are married now. Yes, he married his wildling. So a happy ending, at least off-screen, you know. Correct. Happy ending. And isn't it nice to know that at their, <laughs> isn't it nice to know at their wedding, George R. R. Martin didn't show up and request they play The Winds of Castamere. <laughs> oh my God, that's the nerdiest Game of Thrones joke I've ever made. Um, but yes, yes. Yeah, nicely done. Winds of Castamere is basically, hey, the the introduction theme for we're about to kill everybody. Um, and so also, the Winds of Castamere is the name of the episode of the Red Wedding. There you go. So yeah. Oh, yes. I, that's I think as good a note as Eddie to close this uh, this episode on. Mickey, it's very good to hear from you again. I understand listeners are starting to get a little irritated with us. Look, folks, we got real life, we got day jobs, we got other stuff going on. So we'll try to do this, particularly as summer progresses. Mickey, anything else you want to tell people to look out for or keep an eye on or check out or anything like that? Oh, well, obviously, um, you can always find us um, online. You can find me on Twitter at Bias Girl. You can find him at Jim Garrity. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. Um, you can always find us on SoundCloud, and I do recommend that you go and hit the button and subscribe so you never miss another one. You can also listen to us at iTunes or really wherever you listen to podcasts, but do make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the next episode when it comes out. Um, as we haven't been all that regular about it, it definitely helps when you're subscribing to have it pop up in your mailbox for you. Um, and the other thing I would say to the people that were telling us, you know, they, they wanted to hear from us. First of all, thank you. Um, we appreciate the fact that you guys love the show so much that you wanted us to be back and on the air again. And um, as Jim was saying, we have had a lot going on. Um, it's just kind of been a crazy couple of weeks. But um, we also will be settling into a little bit more of a routine, I believe, um, as we progress through the summer and into the fall. So that's something to look forward to as well. And uh, as, as Jim said, we are well over our time today. So thank you so much for listening and joining us for the last hour and a bit. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And you've been listening to the one, the only Jim and Mickey show. <laughs>